we've talked about counting our blessings and then that anthem on blessings. We know that we are indeed a blessed people and we'll be talking about that again today when we look at our victory over death. Stories told about at a funeral service, the pastor and got carried away with his message uh, and his sermon, funeral message sermon, uh, just seemed to be going on and on and on. And finally, the associate pastor stood up beside him and whispered in his ear and he said, it's getting late, sir. And the pastor said, I know, but this doctrine of the resurrection is so important. And the associate pastor said, yes, but we've got to get the body over to the cemetery in time for it. Well, the doctrine of the resurrection is important. Uh, it's so important to the Apostle Paul that he, he uh, gave the entire 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians to talking about the significance uh, of the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection, the validation of the resurrection, the victory over death through Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the grave. Uh, and since Easter Sunday, now we're in our fifth week of going through 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, we spent these weeks looking in detail at some of the uh, doctrine of the resurrection and its implications for all of us who are believers. Last week we looked at a very significant passage of Scripture in verses 35 through 49 in which the Apostle Paul described our marvelous resurrection bodies and that marvelous transformation that takes place when we too are resurrected. The Scripture for today that we'll look at in just a moment is all about victory. It's about the victory of Jesus Christ over death and sin and the grave. And then that supernatural bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and his victory over death, sin, and the grave becomes ours as we believe in Jesus Christ. And we eventually experience victory over our greatest enemy that we will ever face, and that is death. I think when we read these words of Scripture in just a moment, you will see that, that, that it's a passage of Scripture that Paul is, is using to, to bring all of his thoughts and teaching from the Old Testament and from logic and from rational thought, all that process uh, to bring it to a conclusion and to talk about the fact that this resurrection is so significant that we find in this our victory over death. But you'll also find that it is filled with sound and sight and action. See, Paul has been arguing from this viewpoint uh, uh, using all of the, the gifts and abilities that he's been given and the information that he's been given and his faith uh, in, in what he is talking about and his real encounter with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And so he talks to us today about our victory over death and we read that uh, in our scripture today. If you'll look with me in 1 Corinthians 15 beginning in verse 50. Now Paul's bringing this to a conclusion. We'll look at the end of it in one verse next week. But we're going to read 50 through 57. So Paul says, I declare to you brothers that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory." 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we hear these words of Paul, I think we have to see and feel the emotion that that he uses as he brings this section to a conclusion. And he's used all of the the resources that are at his current disposal to, to make sure that he has been faithful to the teaching and to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we know that he's done that is that he was a scholar of the Scriptures. And he knew his Old Testament very well. In fact, Isaiah 25, 7 through 8 promises us that the ultimate result of the resurrection will be that the shroud that covers us now in the fear of death will be taken away. And that was written 700 years before Jesus Christ came into this world to be our Savior and to go to the cross and die for our sins so that our sins can be forgiven. And so that through His death, burial, and resurrection, uh, our life would be transformed. And so, Paul is talking about here the fact that death has been swallowed up in victory. And when he writes that in Isaiah verse uh, chapter, that he's quoting uh, Isaiah 25 verse 8. When he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. And then he also quotes from the uh, prophet Hosea chapter 13, 14 when he says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And you see, I think those quotations from the Old Testament summarize the heart, the very heart and nature of this chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you remember when we look back in verses 20 through 22, that Paul challenged the skeptics of his day who did not believe in the resurrection. And he said how, they were asking, how can there be a resurrection? And Paul emphasizes this is the the foundational truth, the central core element of the gospel that we proclaim. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. See, Paul is so sure of the resurrection that he wants us to understand no matter what the skeptics are from his age or in our age today, no matter what the world view is, he wants us to have a view of faith that says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the guarantee of our victory over death. And it's for those of us who belong to Jesus Christ. Now, when we uh, look at these words of Scripture and we claim that promise of victory over death, I think there are three important things that, that we need to understand and grasp and hold on to for the rest of our life that Paul expounds upon these. And they ought to give us hope and comfort. And they ought to challenge us to live more faithfully in our life today as believers in Jesus Christ. The first thing that Paul says is a promise to us is that we receive a victorious transformation. Well, last week we looked at it in greater detail, but he reminds us of that again in verse 50. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You see, flesh and blood are the sum total of our our bodies, our humanity, our physical beings. That's the way we're created to live in this world. That's the body that we need. And we're born with this natural body to live in this natural world. And you know, it's an amazing body that God has given to us. 
with all the organs at work and the way that our heart pumps and beats and the blood that flows through us that gives us life. It's an amazing body. It's an amazing creation of God. The psalmist said, I am fearfully and wonderfully created. And we are created in the image of God. I mean, this is the way that we are created to live in this world. But the reality is that these bodies are not made to live here forever. And the reality is that from the moment we are born, we really begin the process of dying. Some live a long life, a long and fruitful life. Some don't live that long. It's by the will and sovereign hand of God. But the reality is, is that every day as we get older, our bodies show the effects of the fact that they are not designed to live forever. And, and we know that we are, we are slowing down as we get older. And we know that our, our bodies are telling us that they're going through that natural process of decline and then decay. And in order for our bodies, though, to last for all eternity, Paul tells us here, calls it the kingdom of God, that there must be a transformation so that our bodies are made ageless. And they must be changed into a glorified state so that we can be in the glorified presence of the glorified body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for all eternity. And the good news is that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there will come a point in time when we will be changed. And we will move from this natural body to a, to a spiritual body. We will move from this perishable body to an imperishable body. We will move from this body of dishonor into a body of honor. And that's what Paul says to us in verses 51 through 53. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. You see, what Paul is reminding us of is that we cannot live in eternity in these bodies, but we're going to be changed, every one of us. And we'll talk about the extent of that in just a moment when we get to what Paul is talking about, about this mystery. Last week in verses uh, 42 through 44, Paul reminded us of that transformation process in a little more detail. He says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. You see, there's, a, there's that wonderful process in which he reminds us of the transformation that will come in our life when we are resurrected and we have that resurrection body. Now, we look a little bit more in depth, and Paul talks about this being a mystery. And he says the mystery is that we will all be changed. And that word all uh, relates to all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord. And he, and he reminds us that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. We find that back in verses 3 and 4. All, already going back to the foundation, to the central truth of the gospel of Christ. Now Paul calls this uh, revelation and this transformation a mystery. And the word mystery might be a bit confusing to us. Probably a better word is the word secret. But once you tell somebody that which is a secret, it's no longer a secret, is it? Well, Paul wants us to know it's no longer a secret for us. That's what's going to happen. That what's going to happen for everybody is that we're going to have, who are believers in Christ Jesus. Let me put that disclaimer on that. 
for everybody who's a believer in Christ Jesus, we're going to experience that transformation. We're going to experience the victory over death through a resurrection body. And Paul says, I want to tell you something that's been a secret up until now, and here it is. And the secret is this, it's twofold. The generation of people living on the earth when Jesus Christ comes back to claim His own, and the rapture takes place, and He claims the church, they will be instantly changed and will be with Him forever. Then, at the same time, all those who history who have believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and have trusted Him as Savior, and have died before that moment, will be gloriously resurrected. And if you remember, we've looked several weeks at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, that great resurrection chapter, verses 13 through 18. And he talks about the fact that we will all be caught up, and we will be with the Lord in the clouds, and we will then be with Him forever. And Paul calls it here in the kingdom of God. So that's that wonderful transformation process that he talks about in our victory over death. See, He provides for us, for both those. For those who will be alive at the time that Christ comes back to claim His church and His own, they will be caught up. And they will be gloriously changed. And for all those who have died, He said, the dead in Christ rise first. And they will be gloriously changed. They will be brought up and have a resurrection experience that resurrection. Now, why is Paul so certain of it? Well, you remember that he also talks about the fact that he was an apostle because he had, a, he had met the risen Christ. He had an encounter with him and he knew that. He also had heard all the disciples and all the others talking. And we don't know by this point how much of, of these true words had been written down and how much Paul had had the opportunity to read. But there's one thing that you and I have had the opportunity to read for a long time, and that's in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, that ought to be a word of comfort and victory and hope for us. Because Jesus said, I tell you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, you see, that glorious transformation in our victory over death takes place when Jesus comes back for us, and that is absolutely guaranteed. That's the first promise. The second one is this. Because of His resurrection and our resurrection, the power of death, sin, guilt, and shame are broken forever. They no longer hold any power over us, but they are broken forever. Now, why is it so important to look at all of those, death, sin, guilt, and shame? Well, they're all part of our experience of life. Unless the Lord comes and we're part of that generation that's alive when He comes to claim the church, we're going to experience death. Our bodies are going to decay and die. And we will experience death. We also know that we deal still with the reality of sin and we struggle with sin. There is that struggle that takes place in our life with sin. And sometimes sin wins. Sometimes we win out over it. And then that brings to us the battle that we fight with guilt and shame because we know we're not being the people that God wants us to be. We're not living the way that God wants us to live. We go through and we read Scripture and we find, boy, you know what? That's describing me right there and I feel so ashamed of how I've been living and what I've been doing and my attitude. And you see, that, that, that's where all of these issues come together. But Paul guarantees us, he promises us that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of death, sin, guilt, and shame are absolutely broken. Look at verses 54 through 55. Paul says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? See, Paul is making some very pointed declarations here. That we have the certainty that there will come a time when death will claim its final life. You see, when Jesus steps back from eternity into time, the grim reaper is going to be out of a job. And death itself will die. It will bite the dust. And that ought to be a sense of encouragement for us. Paul tells us that the last enemy to be defeated is death. You see, death is no respecter of persons nor of age. And every family in here has experienced death. Some of you today on Mother's Day are, are, are mourning the fact that your mother has died and gone on into eternity. Others of you are still dealing with, with grief issues because of the death of loved ones and family members, friends, or people that you've known about. See, the, the reality of death hits us every day when you look at the newspaper. On the bottom page, uh, bottom of the first page of the metro section in the state newspaper, there are the listing of the deaths that are recorded in South Carolina as recorded to the state newspaper. And then you read the the obituaries that follow. See, death is an enemy. It is there. It is there for us. And we will face it. In fact, the Greek poet Euripides wrote, death is the debt we all must pay. But we are promised through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the great news of the resurrection is that when that final change occurs and Jesus comes for us, death will be defeated and death will no longer have any power over us. And we'll no longer have any fear of death. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, encourages us by saying these words. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You see, you no longer need to fear death. We no longer need to be held in the slavery of the fear of death because Jesus Christ has died and he has conquered death. And through his resurrection, he has defeated death once and for all. And that is the last enemy that will be defeated. And we no longer, though, need to fear it in this world because we know as a believer to die in this world is to be in the presence of God immediately. The body's placed in the ground to wait the day of resurrection, but our eternal being goes into the presence of God for all eternity. And we're with Him forever and ever. You see, there's nothing to be afraid of in that death process because it ushers us into the presence of God. But now we deal with these other issues that we talked about, sin and guilt and shame. And that's where Paul's theology gets a little bit deeper. If you look at verse 56, Paul says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Now, if we would really be totally honest today, we would all admit that we are still sinful people, and we have problem with this issue of sin, that we sin and we know that we do. Now, apart from Christ and His saving work, we are doomed to eternity without Christ because of sin. But because our belief in Jesus Christ, we have victory over that sin, and we know that we will expend eternity with Christ. But in the meantime, we still struggle with sin. And see, we've got several options in here. We're either going to deny our sinfulness which the Scripture says if anyone says he is without sin in 1 John, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. Or we're going to try to rationalize it. 
You know, that's where we downplay it and say, well, that's just my nature. That's just my weakness, you know. And God knows that I'm made this way. In fact, He made me this way, and that's my weakness. So Paul says that the, the wages of sin is death. And he's talking about physical death, because when sin came into the world, it brought about death. And he's also talking about spiritual death, where if we die in sin, without Jesus Christ, we experience a spiritual death. We are separated from God for all eternity. Now, only when there is sin can death deal a fatal blow. But when sin in our life has been removed through Jesus Christ, then we don't have to fear our sin anymore. Death can only interrupt this earthly life then and transport us into the presence of God for all eternity. And see, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John in 1 John tells us, that our sins are forgiven for the name and sake of Jesus Christ. That tells us we can either reign free in life, free from sin, or we can live in fear of death, frightened of what's on the other side of the door. And death, you see, really in its sense, is a door that opens and transports us into one place or the other. It will transport us in the glorious presence of God in heaven. Paul calls it here the kingdom of God for all eternity if we believe in Jesus Christ. Or it will transport us into an eternal destiny of hell. Separated from God for all eternity. Do we still deal with the reality of sin? But Paul says if we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, then death represents the door of resurrection in Christ, being raised imperishable, inheriting eternal life, living in that kingdom forever and ever. And then he says something about in verse the latter part of verse 56, he says, the power of sin is the law. And we go even a little bit deeper, and that's where we get into the shame and the guilt about sin. And I think what Paul is saying is that that the law, whether it's the Ten Commandments or, or whatever it is in here that's laid down in Scripture about how we should live our life, that's in essence what the Scriptures talk about, about the law as we read it here even in the New Testament, is that it speaks about the guilt that results from living under the law. See, God tells us that He has revealed the law through His Word, and it is absolute, it's concrete, it's set in stone. And there's so many commandments from God that we could go through the Scriptures and find that you're going to read them. If you read them, you, you, you ought to be honest if you don't deny your sinfulness and say, well, you know what? I violated that one, I violated that one, I violated that one, and I know I don't do that. And it goes from simple things like praying without ceasing, goes about things about uh, loving your neighbor as you love yourself, loving God with all your heart and soul and mind, all the way down to the things that you don't want to talk about, and that is uh, trusting God with that 10%. You know, that's not a suggestion from God in the tithe. That's a commandment that He gives. And He's going to judge us for everything that we disobey. And so we want to make sure that as we live now and we hear these words of Scripture, that we're not going to live out of a sense of guilt. Because if we do, that's going to cause us to approach God in fear and shame. In fact, Shakespeare writes in Hamlet the line that says, Thus conscience doth make cowards of us all. And you see that the problem with living with shame and guilt and fear is that we believe that God is not a God of love anymore. 
He's a God of judgment and of condemnation. And therefore we need to understand that to live under the law means that we live through the grace of Jesus Christ that He's given to us. Will we sin? Yes. Will we do it willfully? No. Will we do it with regrets? Absolutely. Will we confess that sin? Yes, we will. And as a result of that, then, we no longer live under the fear of death, nor do we live any longer under the bondage of guilt and shame because of Jesus Christ and His promise to us. I found it interesting in some reading um, that takes us back to the days of Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. And Mel Gibson's certainly been in the news ever since that movie in a lot of different ways, hasn't he? Um, and you remember, I, I can't remember exactly how long ago. What was it, about eight years ago or so that The Passion of the Christ came out? And uh, we rented out the theater when it was Polo. Theater's on Polo. It's been a long time ago. We're down here. The theater's on Polo. Um, I mean, uh, what? No, yeah, I think that's what they call them, wasn't it? Down here. And, and we had for two showings, and we saw that. And we, we know that the reality of that movie, The Passion of the Christ, was very gruesome. And uh, I, Mel Gibson said he wanted it to be that way because sometimes we undervalue uh, the, the, the treatment that Jesus received. And, of course, it ends with the, the crucifixion of Christ. Well, there's a Hollywood producer by the name of uh, David Wood who says he has a vision from God that he wants to tell the rest of that story. And he wants to film it called The Resurrection And he says it would be unique in many ways because it will end on a happy note. And this is what he says. He says, the real power of Christianity is the risen Jesus. Even though we all know that Christ went to the cross for our sins, it's really the power of Him resurrecting, which is the power of who we as Christians truly are. The second story is about this. It's a story about love and hope. This is a much more positive story. Well, you can't get to the resurrection without going first through the crucifixion and the cross. And we know that, that Jesus went to the cross and before that he was, he was brutally treated. And we know that death by crucifixion was the most agonizing form of death uh, that there could be in the Roman world. And we know that Jesus went through that and then he literally died, was placed in the ground and placed in that tomb. And then on the third day was brought back to life by the power of God. And it's that resurrection then that gives us the hope that we live with, which is glorious good news, that we live in that hope eternal hope of the resurrection that we will experience that Paul calls our victory. And because of that we live now with no fear of death and we don't live under the condemnation of sin because there's no more, no more guilt and no more shame. And then there's a third thing I think that Paul says the resurrection promises us. And that is that the, the resurrection victory allows us to live victorious lives in Jesus Christ. You see it's not just that we wait until that resurrection moment to experience a a glorious life. But that now in this world we are called to live as resurrection people, people of God, people who have been changed dramatically through Jesus Christ. And if He is alive, risen from the dead, then we have a relationship with Him that's a living God. And that means then that we don't have to live with sin, shame, or guilt. Verse 57, he says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and our belief in that, and the change that he makes in our life now, there are some significant things that we have that we need to celebrate and claim in our relationship with Christ now.
Basically, it means that we can have access to all the resources of God right now. Because the Scripture tells us that in Jesus Christ we are heirs with Him, joint heirs with Christ. And all that God has for Christ, we are heirs to that as well. But in the meantime, as we live in this world now, day by day, here are some things that we can claim. First of all, to help us deal with the reality of sin, that we can receive forgiveness when we sin. Then we go to 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, that's good news, isn't it? Secondly, it means we can trust Him to meet all of our needs. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's for you as a believer. All your needs will be met through, through Jesus Christ. Through the glorious riches in Christ. He has all resources at His disposal and He can meet your needs. It also means thirdly that we can live confidently because of His presence. See, His presence is with us eternally. In John 14, 18, Jesus was talking about leaving and departing, and His his disciples were confused. And He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So, we can live confidently because of His eternal presence. Then, fourthly, it means that we can pray knowing that He will hear. 1 John says in 5, 14 through 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. That's the power of prayer that God gives to us now. And then the fifth thing is that we can live securely in God's love. That means day by day we can live securely in God's love. In Isaiah 49, verse 15 and the first part of verse 16, I think it's a good reminder of part of that uh, uh, motherly love that God has for us on this Mother's Day. For he asked the question, says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you. On the palm of my hands. You see, that's a, that's a victorious life that we are able to live now, day by day, every day, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We call this sermon series, The Day Death Died. Hasn't been absolutely defeated yet, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the guarantee that we know that it will be. And Paul tells us some important things in these closing words. Next week, we're going to look at verse 58. One verse is a challenge for how we take this last concept and live now to the glory of God. That's what he talks about in verse 58. But today, the challenge to us is to claim that victory that he promises us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the issue for every one of us today is to deal with that fact. Have I claimed Christ in such a way that I live confidently every day in the promise of my resurrection because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And if I do claim that and I live that way, then what difference does it make in my life? It ought to make a difference in how you face death. It ought to make a difference in how you approach sin. You won't do it lightly. You won't do it flippantly. You'll be ashamed of it. You'll, be re- you'll experience remorse. But when you come to God and you confess it, you claim what the Bible says, that He is faithful to forgive and to cleanse. There's our victory in the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
My prayer is that you know that victory and will claim it. And if not, then you will come today and acknowledge Christ as Savior to experience that victory. Father, we bow before you in your presence today. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just for the celebration on Easter, but for the resurrection of Christ that gives us a new meaning to life every day. Thank you that you allow us to live, Father, in that relationship with you that brings a dramatic change into our life. And for those who might need to make that decision today, I pray, Father, that they will do so in your name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.